Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Warning, this podcast discusses difficult subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Vanya. Hi, I'm Avrin, and this is Rom Crime. <laughs> the word vigilante is complex. It can seem black and white. But today, we aim to take you into the gray. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Just kidding. I'm not going to just repeat everything I'm you like, say. You are copying me, Avrin. I'm sorry. I no, I'm hung out with your children earlier, <laughs> and we played a game where we were babysitting a cheetah. Oh, and yeah. the cheetah was learning how to speak by just mimicking everything that we were saying. Yeah, it sounds like my and kids. And so, uh, I mean, an excellent learning tool for a younger <laughs> person. But I remember specifically playing that game to piss people off as a Oh, kid. yeah, I do too. I, yeah. I mean, I think I still today could piss my brother or sister yeah. off. I think I could like, piss off pretty much any human that I, if I just repeated everything they said. It's just amazing. I know. Isn't that funny? Because <laughs> it's is annoying. It is. It's been, a, it's been a week, guys. We have a new president so far. Yes, we do. Did we have one last week? We didn't. No. no. Um, our episodes drop on Fridays. Yeah, that's right. And so on Friday when it dropped, we were, we were cautiously and nauseously optimistic, optimistic and anxious. Yeah. And now I'm just going to say it. Say it. I am optimistic, but I am also incredibly anxious. Yeah. Because, you know, the the orange Cheeto is still like trying to make our life well to create an environment where like danger feels possible. Like not just within like the global scale of being like, let me rip apart my, you know, everyone who works with the military that I have right now. I'm just gonna fire the main guy and bring yeah. in someone new in the last couple weeks of my presidency. What a dipshiza. Yeah. Say it. Shit. Dipshit. What Sorry. a shit. I'm trying to keep my but mouth the, clean. But then with the, the optimism the comes when I like, oh, I apologize if anyone's like, don't get political. We just like murder stories. But like when I allow myself to really think about Donald Trump, like throwing a temper tantrum about losing. And then every time it comes up, like Mr. President, then the math's not working out in your favor. Like maybe we consider like a concession speech where you still see when he just throws another temper tantrum <laughs> and it just makes me feel like good things could happen. Yeah. I just can't wait to not think about him ever again. Yeah. I just, just can't wait. Well, and that's the beauty of, 
of having a different president, right? Like, I think we can all understand that Donald Trump not being president doesn't mean Donald Trump goes away. But right. it does mean that it's not the responsibility of the media to cover the moves of the president, which is their job, and to right. hold the president accountable for, like, lies and truths and all those yes. things. And he won't be the president anymore. So he can, like, stand on a fucking hill and scream whatever he wants, but nobody has to cover it because yeah. he's not the president. Yeah, I agree. I'm just going to hold on to the positivity as well. And um, just keep trying to move forward. Although I have to say, I this is a little dark, but I'm uh, I'm really a little depressed about the war that happened in Armenia and right. how they, you know, the prime minister there, whatever, gave land, but like apparently it could have been a lot more. Right. But still, it's just messed up the whole region, Azerbaijan, t- Turkey. Um, they were there were like paid mercenaries from Pakistan and right, sent in to all over to kill. Um, and I, it's really sad because it's all young men. And that the, one of the biggest problems is, is they, Azerbaijan was all backed with like some high tech weapons. Mm-hmm. And back, back when in the world war one, when Stalin came to like help the Armenians, right. they screwed, he screwed them big time by not giving them whatever the land and stuff like that. And they never, they never, had money. So they, their weapons that they had to fight against, which I don't believe in fighting at all. I don't think it's helpful. Right. But if it's not a fair, but they, they just didn't have the, the, anything that was an equal fight at all. Um, yeah, like they, Turkey was paying Pakistanis $2,000 per whatever, like to come fight. And I asked my, somebody, I was like, why, why? And I think it comes down to a lot of things, but it comes down to like the jihadish, like Muslim versus Christian sort of take out right. them all, which again, I think that sucks too, because that's where I really don't like religion because so many awful things are done in the name of it. Right. And and if you were to actually look at those two separate religions, like being Muslim or being Christian, at the core, it's actually very similar. They're all similar. They're yeah. the same thing. And so it's just the extremists who twist the yeah. words of of a religious doctrine to make it mean something like yeah. we must kill all, you know, and the, cr- like not us people. Well, and this is that actually... Sounded, that this was so is eloquent. Actually, kill not all us people. But see, this is actually really um, perfect for our... Sp- what were the story we're yeah, going to well, tell today? Yeah, well, I thought today. that's why you were. I thought it that wasn't. Was it, oh. It's actually been waiting on me. I've been. Well, I know it's you know, something that you've definitely been because I am Armenian, yeah. and it's just like the hardest thing. You know, I grew up. I'm a, I'm American. I was born here. Um, but it's like it feels all my life. I didn't grow in a, up in a place where there were other Armenians, so it felt all my life that I had to explain who I was and where I'm from, and people were like, "What?" and grossed out and just like weirded out. They're like, "You're Middle Eastern." I'm like, "Yes, I am," and. But it's also like there's here's the thing I don't care about like what religion you are, but I'm like you know, but they're Christian that I feel like I could like be cool around the other people in my you know right if you explain school. That, like we're Christian yeah we're like which is in and of itself like such a fundamental issue mm-hmm. I think within our country yeah that you know like you're Middle Eastern Ew, okay stop being xenophobes America like exactly. let's just stop it yeah but then if they're but if it's not if you know, you say you're Muslim, yeah. like somehow that strikes fear Scarier, in the hearts yeah. of people yeah. when it should not. Yeah. Um, but that's like such a, such a fucked up thing. It is. Well, and, and side note, just to, before we get into our story in at, during the first world war around 1914, 
there there was a genocide in Armenia where um, the Turkish tried to take out all of them. Right, and there when were they like deny that a to couple this million day, right? people. They deny it to this day. The word genocide wasn't even in the lexicon um, during that time, but it's used for that. And this is interesting. So we are going to talk about um, World War II, and we're going to talk about specifically the Nazi and the um, you know Hitler's sort of plight. Um, Hitler is quoted in saying, and it's written down that he said, people were like, what do you think, what do you think you can get away with this? He's like, yeah, nobody remembers the Armenians. They won't remember this either. And that's where we, that's why all of the, that's, first of all, that's why the Turkish people or not people, but the Turkish government, the Ottoman, whatever need to say, yes, this happened. Acknowledge Acknowledge it. So we don't feel like we're being gaslighted the whole time. It's just like the most crazy trauma, even as a person who was not born there, even, you know, my dad wasn't even born there, but like, you just feel crazy. Like no one believes you or this, like this genocide didn't really happen. Or you have to be like, I promise you my great grandfather's head was cut off or whatever, right, you, know? Like you know, you know that it happened, but the fact that it is not <clears throat> widely accepted yeah. is maddening. It's, it's maddening and it's stressful. And I also, and it is a tactic because that's, yeah. you know, one of the main and we'll get into this as we go through our stories, but like one of the main talking points of alt-right groups or neo-Nazi organizations is Holocaust denial, saying that it never happened. Yeah. Which is impossible because that is one genocide yeah. that has there not was, been denied. There were pictures. There were pictures, there were accounts, but... Right. And I've said it before, the only reason there were accounts in Armenia was because of missionaries that were there. And yeah. there's there are a few pictures, but the pictures you see are horrifying right. it's like pounds and pounds of bodies or skulls and right not to mention you know the rape of the women and the you know yeah and the murdering of babies yeah and just awfulness awfulness genocide awfulness. is is the is the worst the worst act of inhumanity that exists i know and i you know this week <laughs> i was like i was feeling better about this week and but then researching this and researching the Holocaust and thinking about what happened in Armenia, it just, I feel so weighted because I'm like, what is wrong with the, why are humans like this? Like, do, is it because they're, we don't, like when you're sort of talked to by like the Nazis, you don't think the Jewish people are people, so it's okay. Or what, what makes people, what makes another human being do such atrocities to people to another person and and do it in the name of whatever i don't understand i I cannot wrap my hand i think that this we're going to come back to this i think a a lot Mm -hmm. in all these stories i think it comes down to as we talked about in the first and second episode knowledge so if you don't know anything about an Armenian person or a Jewish person, and you have someone with a really loud megaphone mm-hmm. who is the leader of your people repeatedly shouting their opinions and they're shouting them as facts, but they're just their opinions. Right. Eventually that becomes your own truth. You're like, oh, these people are trying to ruin us. Yeah, we have to these get rid people of them. are the they're end of, yeah, they're our enemy. And so, I mean, I'm certainly not like a a, a professor or a professional history buff or anything, but I do think that when it comes down to being able to convince what otherwise were probably good, moral, decent people to convince those people to commit these horrific acts, it's Mm. there, it's the, those, those, so those good people's lack of information and knowledge Mm -hmm. that allows them to be blindly led. Mm -hmm. Cause everybody would say now, you know, like, well, if it was me and I was, I was in the German army in world war two and they were like, we got to kill, I wouldn't do it. And it's like, um, Back up America. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying that blankly because we're Americans. So yeah. that's who I will choose to target when I make these kind of comments. But back up, look in the mirror. 
Yeah. Um, we tear babies from their parents at the border and then put them in cages. We also have had internment camps, which is just a fancy word for a concentration camp because so concentration camp makes people feel bad. But internment camp is the same thing. And that's what we did to the Japanese. <sighs> and, yeah. you know, I made this joke with you about how on the day that uh, President-elect Biden was finally called, there were celebrations across our country, across the world, actually. Okay, for the sure. Fucking fireworks in London, and they rang church bells in Paris. Because <laughs> right. that's how fucking exciting this is, you guys. Yeah. But the celebrations that they were showing on the news all in every major city across America, I heard many people saying, like, this is reminiscent of, like, when World War II ended. Like, when we beat the Nazis. Yeah. And then some news... I watch a lot of CNN because my sister works for them, so it was probably CNN. Or not. Maybe it was John Oliver. Because yeah. um, I also am <laughs> obsessed with John Oliver. But someone was like, it's like the end of World War II when Americans were all out in the streets celebrating the, the defeat of the Nazi regime. And that is what this feels like to yeah. a degree. Obviously, I don't think it's fair to compare them because I think to compare oh, yeah. anything Different. to the Holocaust is incredibly disrespectful. But that feeling of euphoria of like the the truly just disgusting aspect of what like Trump represents represents. it's not you know he's just the symptom it's it exists here but to see it fall was nice felt incredibly encouraging yeah I think so too and I'm just not even gonna think about how even though Biden won by a record number of votes Trump there was a record number of votes for him too he's both of them received more votes than any previous candidate for president in the United States. So well, people want this pandemic to be over. So I'm hoping that now it's just going to be over easy. <laughs> easy it's just going to be easy peasy. Just kidding. Pumpkin but at least we'll feel more comforted. I think we'll feel more like we know what we need to do. Yeah. That we have leadership that can tell us where I to hope go. So. so on that note, let me let me give you guys a yes. little history lesson. Because even though I think most people are familiar with World War II in, you know, and the Holocaust in certain ways. Just in case you aren't, this information is important for the story that Vanya is going to share with us today. Yes. So the word Holocaust, I'm going so basic here. I like The it. word Holocaust comes from the Greek words holos or holos, not sure how you pronounce that, H-O-L-O-S, which means whole, and kostos, which means burned. That was historically used to describe a sacrificial offering burned on the altar. Mm. So a Holocaust was in its original form, like a, sa- a burned sacrifice. But since World War II, the word has taken on a new and horrible meaning, which is the ideological and systematic state-sponsored persecution and mass murder of millions of European Jews, as well as millions of others, including Romani people, the intellectually disabled, dissidents, and homosexuals by the German Nazi regime between the years 1933 and 1945. So the definition of Semitic is relating to or denoting a family of languages that includes Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, and certain ancient languages such as Phoenician and Akkadian, um, constituting the main subgroup of Afro-Asiatic families, or relating to people who speak Semitic languages, especially Hebrew and Arabic. Mm-hmm. So to be anti-Semitic is to be anti-anybody that falls into that category. Interesting. So the anti-Semitic Nazi leader Adolf Hitler believed that Jews were an inferior race, an alien threat to German racial purity and community, and after years of Nazi rule in Germany, during which Jews were consistently persecuted... Hitler's final solution, which is now known as the Holocaust, which was the genocide Ugh. of 
of the European Jewish population um, came to fruition under the cover of World War II, which is why, like, we got in the game late, right? Because it was only when these atrocities, there's a war going on, there are bombs and, you know, fighting and all these things. But when it became clear what was actually going on is when I think the U.S. actually decided to step in. Don't quote me again, not a history buff. But I do know that the Holocaust was a big part of why America got into World War II. Right. So under the cover of World War II, this genocide is taking place with mass killing centers constructed inside concentration camps. Approximately 6 million Jews and some 5 million others targeted for racial, political, ideological, and behavioral reasons died in the Holocaust, and more than 1 million of those were children. So the story Vani is going to share with you today takes place in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give everyone a little timeline of World War II in the Netherlands, specifically retaining to the Nazi occupation. Um, also, fun fact, not fun fact. I hate myself so much. Not Why so did I say fact. that? It's a not. It's just. It's just a fact. <laughs> so I feel like growing up in the U.S., if there's one story that we're taught in school, it is the story of her uh, Anne Frank and oh, her yeah. family. Yes. And so in my brain, obviously not paying close enough attention, just like reading the part out loud in class because that was always my favorite thing. But um, the Anne Frank and her family were in hiding in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. which is in the Netherlands, right? not too far from where our story takes place. Yeah. But, you know, I always thought it was like Germany or maybe Poland. Oh, yeah. No, that's but, where her, there's a museum there and you can still yeah, go and so visit. That, so that's something I didn't know yeah. or that I just didn't realize was that so much of the history of the Holocaust that we understand and what we're taught here took place in the Netherlands, which is not uh, something I think of automatically right. when I think of the Netherlands. Right. So... <laughs> Avern was pleased that she learned something new. <laughs> All right. So in September of 1939, the Dutch declare neutrality at the start of World War II. In May of 1940, so shortly, you know, less than a year later, there are around 140,000 Jewish people living in the Netherlands. On May 10th of 1940, Germans attack the Netherlands. And on May 13th, so three days later, the Dutch cabinet and royal family flee to London. By May 15th, so it takes a whole five days, by May 15th, 1940, the Germans have now, they're, they're, they've won. They've taken over. They are now occupying the Netherlands. The Dutch surrender to Germany after those five days of fighting. And there are 2,220 dead Dutch soldiers, 2,700 wounded Dutch soldiers, and 2,000 civilian casualties that took place in those five days. In January of 1942, Germany's ally Japan declares war against the Netherlands. Japan invades the Dutch East Indies, which later will become Indonesia. 42,000 Dutch soldiers are taken prisoner, and 100,000 Dutch civilians are arrested, and millions of colonial subjects are put into forced labor. Between the years of 1940 and 1945, the Dutch resistance comes to fruition, comes into existence. Mm -hmm. Some Dutch citizens actively resist their occupation by forging money or, or ration cards, raiding distribution centers and handing out stolen ration cards, hiding fellow citizens, spying for the allies, sabotaging German work projects, creating underground newspapers and maintaining contact with London, and sometimes even assassinating Nazi leaders. 1944 to 1945 is when the Nazis kind of discover the Dutch resistance and they respond violently. They respond to different Dutch acts of resistance with extreme violence. They raid universities. They execute hundreds of Dutch hostages. They bombard neighborhoods. And in the case of the town of, I believe you pronounce it Puten or Paten, they deported the entire male population to labor camps. <sighs> so the Dutch resistance just 
in a pinch. I know you're going to get into it. Um, that arose during World War II, can be mainly characterized as nonviolent. The primary organizers were the Communist Party, churches, and independent groups. Over 300,000 people were hidden from German authorities in the autumn of 1944 by somewhere between 60,000 to 200,000 illegal landlords and caretakers. Mm -hmm. So like native Dutch people Mm -hmm. who were hiding Jewish people and other people that were being sought out by the Nazis. Um, These activities were pretty much tolerated knowingly by some 1 million Dutch people that were like, we know you're doing it. It's fine. We won't say anything. Yeah, they're like, we don't want to die. Yeah, we're good. Um, The Dutch resistance develops relatively slowly, but it was in February of 1941, there was a strike which involved random police harassment and the the deportation of over 400 Jewish people. And that greatly stimulated the resistance. Um, the first to organize were the Dutch communists who set up a cell system immediately. Um, a lot of people, most of them had great trouble surviving betrayal in the first two years. So that's a little bit of an oxy, like mm. moron there. As like, most people were like, we won't say anything. But in the beginning, the resistance struggled to have any impact because people kept ratting them out. Um, Dutch counterintelligence, domestic sabotage, and communication networks eventually provided key support to Allied forces beginning in 1944 and continued to help them until the Netherlands was fully liberated. So I'll just take you through the last two little points of my timeline. September 14th, 1944 Mm -hmm. was the beginning of the end. The very first Dutch cities are liberated by the Allies. Much of the southern Netherlands is liberated by the end of 1944, though many um, parts of the northern Netherlands will remain occupied until the very end of the war. And then on May 5th, of 1945 all of the netherlands is liberated from german occupation and then this was just a fact that i thought was uh, very hard to to even imagine 75 percent of the original dutch jewish population was killed during world war ii and this percentage is significantly higher than in other comparable countries like belgium or france that were also occupied Mm -hmm. 75 percent of the jewish population from the netherlands was killed in the holocaust so upsetting so now tell us something badass. Okay, great. Yeah, because, you know, this is our vigilante season, so you can only assume that something... Something awesome is about something, to happen. Something, you know, awesome but complex is going to happen. So this story is about 14-year-old Freddie and 16-year-old Truss Overstegen, as well as 19-year-old Hanny Shaft. This was during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands, as Avrin talked about, and... With a vigilante spirit fighting for what's just, these three girls staged drive-by shootings from their bicycles, seductively lured German soldiers from bars to nearby woods where they would execute them, and sheltered fleeing Jewish people and children, political dissidents, gay people, and others who were being hunted by the Nazi invaders. Okay, so that's like the whole of it, but I'm going to... But also like... 14, 16, mm-hmm. and 19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember who you were when you were 14? Yeah, no, not really. I don't either. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I was writing in my journal. I'm, I was writing yeah. some really bad poetry. But I was still riding my bike. I was riding that's my bike too. That's about all I think I... Yeah, that's I just I wild sports. to think that you could... Listen, one thing I, after, you know, talking about all of this and what we talked about in the beginning is I am as, as frustrating as our country is. I am so grateful, honestly, to be here because we're so we're semi safe, at least right now. I mean, not everybody is, but fudge, man, I am. Okay. So how did these girls get to that place? Right. Okay, so Freddie and Truss Overstegen grew up on a barge in Harlem in the Netherlands. So they lived on a boat with 
their mom and dad. Um, now their family would hide Lithuanian refugees all the way back then because her mom was their mom was kind of like a human rights person. So when they were around in their tweens, their mother Trian Overstegen divorces their dad and moves off the barge. And apparently, the dad like sang them a French tune, and they really didn't see their dad from then on. But it wasn't like a bad divorce. It was right. just like he was apparently kind of just maybe a little bit of a drunk and didn't really. And he was like, "I'm off." To he didn't France. want to do much. He was right. like, "Bye." So they rarely saw their dad after that. And they were raised by a single mother with super strong anti-fascist convictions. And Antifa. That means anti-fascist. Oh, interesting. That's so, literally what that means. So that is that is actually interesting because now Antifa is not necessarily, it's not the same thing as what it was back then because well, it's it gotten depends much on more. who you talk to. But like when people say Antifa, as far as a movement in our country, it, what it stands for is anti-fascist mm, mm, mm. or anti-fascism. Gotcha. Well, yes. Okay. So, um, but so well, they had like a small apartment, but they did hide, uh, they hid Jewish people and specifically an older Jewish couple in their home during this time. This is when they found out about all the horrible things that the German Nazis were doing to the Jewish people. So during the days, the girls would hand out anti-Nazi pamphlets with their mom and also like Right, put warnings on some German posters that would basically be like, you know, come men work to this blah, 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 when they were all being lured to their deaths. Right. And they were like warnings. And so doing this is like very dangerous for them. But the mom had such conviction and had, she just felt strongly that this was not, couldn't happen. So she got her girls involved and they were into it too. So the Harlem Council of Resistance took notice and saw these girls doing it. And one day knocked on their door and with their mom's permission, they joined the underground resistance. Now. I just love it. They're 14 I know, and right? 16. Um, it was Juan Franz Vanderwill, one of the resistance people that came to their door. I just, the name was interesting. So yes, yeah, she says yes, but she, so the mom says, yes, you can do it. But she tells the girls, whatever the resistance asks you to do, always remain human, you know? Um, so Truss is noted as saying, so Truss is the older sister. She was the 16-year-old. So she said, a war like this is a very raw experience. And this was in a, one of her books. She said, I saw Germans picking up innocent people from the streets, putting them up against a wall and shooting them. She said, this made her feel anger and disgust. And, you know, she said, you can have any political conviction or be totally against war. But at that moment, you're just a human being confronted with something very cruel. Shooting innocent people is murder. And if you experience something like this, you'll find it justified that when people commit treason, such as exchanging a four-year-old Jewish child for 35 guilders, you act against it. And she said regarding the resistance, I thought we would be starting a kind of secret army. The man that came to the door said they would get military training, and they did teach them how to shoot, um, and, you know, march and different things. But, but they were the only two girls at this point in their army. In the resistance. Know, and they were young girls. So they were used because of their gender and because of their age. They were used, you know, they, they ran messages, messages from different, to different resistance people. They smuggled papers for Jewish people to help them escape. They smuggled, they were able to help smuggle kids and get them out because they were so young too. So people never asked them questions. Freddie 
the youngest, was used for reconnaissance missions often because apparently when she wore her hair in pigtails or braids, she really seemed young, so nobody was looking at her. Right, nobody thought that five-year-old's totally listening and going to pass mm-hmm, on our information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, But in 1943, that's when they meet Hanny Shaft. That's when she joined their little group. Um, she would go to be known as one of the most famous women in the Dutch resistance. And she was so famous uh, or well-known that she was marked for execution by Hitler himself. They were looking for her. Okay, so, so she's 19 years old. Um, she's a college student and she's actually studying human rights law, which is amazing, right? Yeah. But they, uh, the German, you know, whatever, the Nazis came in and they wanted all of the college kids to sign allegiance to Germany and she refused. So she was kicked out. And that's when she joined the resistance. And um, this is when she teamed up with Freddie and Trust and they became best friends. And um, the great, the cool thing about Hanny is she was a little bit older. She had bright, blazing red hair. Right. Wasn't she known as like the girl with the red hair? Mm-hmm. She was known as the girl with the red hair. And she, she was so smart and so um, committed to helping and saving people in terms of human rights. She even taught herself German to, wow. yeah, to kind of. So she could understand what they were saying yeah, exactly. and communicate. So this is when the mission for the girls changed. It changed then to eliminating enemy targets. So they called it, they were, they, they were set to liquidating the enemy, which is, you know, Kill killing them. them. Mm-hmm. Um, when asked how many people they killed, you know, uh, trust, truce, truce, trust. She said, you never ask a soldier how many people he's killed. So they never ever, t- in, their, in their entire lives, they never tell how many people they killed. How many Nazis they killed. Mm-hmm. Well, Nazis and Dutch sort of... Um, Traitors. Yeah. One of the most effective ways to get t- close to soldiers, so this is interesting, it would be, you know, to flirt with them and ask them if they wanted to go on a stroll. Um, and once, of course, they did, then it would either be like another soldier, wait, another person from the resistance waiting and shot them, or they would shoot them. So it's like this like idea in their minds because they see such hor- horrifying things happening. They're doing the right thing, even though it is a negative. It's killing people. It's killing Nazis, though. So mm-hmm. I have zero issue with it. I know, I know. But the only reason I, I sound this way is I know it like it gave them pause later in life. Sure. You know? I mean, I think anybody who, who takes anyone's life is yeah. going to have yeah. some some stuff that comes up. But here's a reason why they were pieces of crap. So once during the day, an SS soldier, so I think it was um, Freddie who saw this, once during the day, an SS soldier grabs a baby out of a carriage of a Jewish family, slams the baby against the wall, killing it, killing the baby in front of his, the father and the sister. Oh, it was Truss, Truce. She pulls out a gun and shoots the shoulder there, soldier right there. And she says that this was not an assignment, but Truth said she did not regret it. A reaction to what she saw. And nor I mean, that's she. insane. And she's like, you know, trained to shoot and kill. Yeah. Um, another thing they did a lot was bike bike drive-bys, you know. Because they look like little girls they riding their like bikes. They look like little girls, yeah. And so they knew the mark, and they would ride on the same bike together, one behind, one pedaling, mm-hmm. and they would get close. And then just when they were when the soldier was alone, they'd kill them. They'd also do a thing where they'd like follow soldiers, walk, knock on their doors and be like, hi, I'm a little girl. Bang, bang. Um, (laughs) And once, though, the only time they refused to do an assignment was they were asked once to kidnap three children of the Reich Commission and former Chancellor of Austria, Arthur Sesquat. 
The idea was that the children were then supposed to be used, you know, to for the release of the prisoner of Dutch prisoners. Only then they would be safely returned. However, if they were not, the kids would be killed. And Truce said, resistance fighters don't kill children. So I'm like, yeah. good girl. Right. They but, understand but that like children are, are innocents, mm-hmm. no matter which side you're on. So if you're the child of a Nazi chancellor, yeah. you're still a child and you're an innocent. Yeah. And I, I and understand I, I like that they recognize that. Yeah. But I understand where it's coming from. M- millions of kids are being killed or million yeah. kids. So it's like, like, let's, what are we going to do to stop this? How do we stop this? But I'm, I'm impressed that they were I like, am no. too. And th- at that young age, they would be like, that's literally us doing what they do. Yeah. So remember Hanny, Hanny Shaft. So she's known obviously as a girl with red hair. She, um, dyes her hair black because it's kind of, they're looking for her. She, they, she dyes her hair black and then she, um, changes her name. Uh, she's caught at a checkpoint, um, with some anti-Nazi, one of like the, you know, pamphlets. the pa- pamphlets or papers or whatever. So they take her and they torture her and try to get information out of her for like two weeks. And she never, she never gives in. Um, but after a few weeks, her red roots started showing how upsetting oh is God. that? Uh, and anyways, they figured at that point, they figured out who she was and she was immediately set to be executed. And the two soldiers, um, who were supposed to kill her, both, both of them missed their killing mark. And so she's pretty much bleeding out, dying slowly, but her last words, she's mocking them saying, idiots, I shoot better. (laughs) And then she died, you know, however, the sisters survived and they went on to live very long lives. Um, of course, they did suffer from PTSD. And yeah, Freddie, so Freddie apparently went, oh no, was it Truce? Yeah, Truce immediately went and had babies and just to like forget about it. Just right, just like had a family. Had a normal life. And her, her son life. said later that she shot people, but she hated it and she hated herself for doing it. Um, she had insomnia for most of her life. And she said, I've shot them myself and I've seen them fall. And I've wanted to get to help them up as soon as I shot them. Um, the women said, both of them, it was tragic and very difficult. And we cried about it afterwards, after killing people. We did not feel it suited us. I wasn't born to kill. Do you know what that does to your soul? One loses everything. It poisons the beautiful things in life. And I just think that's so sad. Um, Truce went on to become a, uh, a writer or sorry, she was a, a, quite the, uh, artist actually. She left behind, uh, so she died in 2016 at the age of 92. Um, and she left behind a huge artistic legacy of resistance and hope was a focus of all of her art, all of her writings, all of her sculptures and paintings. The hope was that the world can become a better, more beautiful place. It just has to. And she wrote a book called Not Then, Not Now, Not Ever. And Freddie died in 2018 at the age 92 as well. Right, because they were two years apart. Yeah. So these women, you know, it's not like they were vigilantes acting on their own behalf, but they... That's what makes them even more badass, in my opinion, is that this wasn't... This was this was on behalf... Like, on behalf... Like, for the behalf, greater good. Yeah, on behalf of those who are being unjustly persecuted Mm -hmm. for all of the Jewish people and the gay people, or just the people that disagreed, you know, that were being hunted by uh, Nazis to just be like, okay, this feels against my actual nature. 
but I do understand that it's the, it's the move that's like the more righteous move than not doing anything. Ooh, one thing I also, this makes me so upset, but Hanny, she was uh, executed only like 18 days after they were liberated. The Netherlands oh, were liberated before so. or after right before. Sorry, oh, sorry. right before. So, so like so literally two weeks, two and a half weeks it. later. That's, I know that's tragedy. It's right tragedy there. right there. But she has, there's, she's famous. In, yeah. She was the girl with the red hair. Yeah. Um, so that's the story guys. That excellent story, Vanya. Thank you. And also again, you know, we talk about this a lot in terms of why this is a complex subject mm-hmm. and it is complex. You can tell that for these women, it was complex. It haunted yeah. them. It haunted them. But then when you think about like, like the children that they saved by smuggling them out or getting them fake papers and the parents who had their child ripped from their arms and then slammed into a wall, like that instant justice for that child and those parents. I don't know. Part of me is like, I I can only imagine how horrific it would be to have to commit violence against other people. Mm -hmm. But if you, Give me, if I have to pick a group of people that I'd be the most comfortable committing violence mm-hmm. against, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say Nazis. Yeah. Bad, bad stuff, man. Yeah. That's just the thing is like how, I know we talked about this earlier, but it's like, how do people get convinced to do such awful things to pe- to other people? Yeah. I mean, like we are human. We are all freaking human. Humans. Yeah. It is amazing how easy, I think again, I'll say it again, without knowledge, it is to convince mm-hmm. a person that something that is other right. is equivalent to something that is bad. Yes. Fear it. Fear this. Fear, fear, fear. Yeah. Fear the other, right? Because we yeah. all are like, well, I don't understand that. And so then if someone spins that into something mm. scary and terrible, then we too feel justified mm-hmm. in you know, being like, no, that's bad. Mm-hmm. We must go after them. But um but it is just still horrific, like the whole... Although I will say when the, my husband brought this story to my attention during Rom Crime Season 1, and he's like, you guys really should cover this. This is kind of crazy. It's like, because all the headlines that you, if you find is like, um, 14-year-old and 16-year-old girls seduce Nazi right. soldiers and execute them. And I'm like, but that is something... There's got to be a movie, I'm sure, in the works I'm because sure. this is just like. I love that your husband brought this to your attention, and then my husband, when I was like, "Guess what story we're doing this week?" and he was yeah. like, "What?" and I was like, "It's about two young, and I mean young, Dutch girls that would seduce like Nazis out of bars, lure them, and lure them to their deaths." And he was yeah. like, "That's the most badass." I know ever. it really is. It is, and it, and and. It, it is though. It is, and I, but I, of course, as soon as I like researched all of it, I'm like, oh, they're messed up inside. We're all just messed up inside. But I think that's something that you can't really. But thank you, ladies. Well, yeah, thank you so much for your contribution to the rights of all humans. But I think that there is, you know, I don't think anybody in our stories. Oh, you're right. Isn't affected by the choice they had they made or had to make or felt they had no other choice but to make and so it is that's you know taking a life if you're not a fucking psychopath is never right easy you know and literally you have to be like a complete sociopath or psychopath to be like that was bunsies yeah (laughs) you know like nobody nobody has that reaction right um and so it isn't surprising and i'm sure we'll come across that again in like our in future stories about like the ptsd that's involved Mm -hmm. but i'm just gonna say it again brave though so brave very brave and if i had 
no choice but to pick a group of people that I had to participate in offing. It would be the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the one group that you just know at the core need to be stopped by whatever means necessary. Mm-hmm. And so I just, yeah, I salute, I salute you three. And to just be so, so young and so brave. I know. Because exactly. I can't even imagine trying to seduce a grown man at 16. I, would have been I think like, it was pretty easy. I think they were just like, hey, because yeah. I watched an uh, interview with their kids who are old, older than my parents. Um, they were like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they didn't have to do much. They were just, just like, like, hi, hello. would you want to come on a walk with me? Oh, and that's okay. it. And they were like, I was yes. just like imagining being 16. And walking into like a bar, which I would have been too scared to do anyway. I mean, granted, different times, obviously. Yeah. But and then being like, your job is to do to seduce that soldier into leaving with you, and then you're going to walk him into the forest where someone will be waiting. Yeah. I'd have been like, I'm going to buckle under the pressure. I know. But then they're like, just remember all the horrible things I've right. seen and heard, you know? Right. And apparently, it's much easier back then. All you have to do is say, "Would you like to go for a walk?" Exactly. With me? And it's that easy. And they're like, "Yeah, I'd like to rape a 14 year old." So mm. I'm kidding, but you know, all maybe the more not. reason. Yeah. To be like this, you you're getting what you deserve. Hey, Avrin, did you know that the phrase alt right started to gain traction in the mainstream media when uh, Mr. Trump? Yep, knew it. Somehow knew it. Yeah. Then Republican nominee in July 2016, he tweeted an image of Hillary Clinton alongside a six pointed star resembling the star of Israel containing the words most corrupt candidate ever. I know. Just like he was just like calling all Nazis, calling all Nazis. Yeah, seems Uh. like it. That it, what is alt-right? Oh, okay, I'll tell you. I can tell you because I have a definition right here, so lucky. Um, alt-right in the U.S. is defined as a right-wing ideological movement characterized by a rejection of mainstream politics and by the use of online media to disseminate provocative content. Often they express opposition to racial, religious, or gender, equa- gender equality. So they're just real winners. They suck. It seems like it. Anya, did you know that in a 2019, I believe, report from the Department of Homeland Security, I'm just going to read you two, well, one long quote. Okay. Wait, the Homeland, the Department of Homeland Security. Okay, So like, had you ever heard of the show Homeland? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. So like those people that were like, that's a terrorist. That's a terrorist. Claire Danes is crying all the time. (laughs) So this is the real version of that. And this is a quote from a report that they put out. I'm listening. Lone offenders and small cells of individuals motivated by a diverse array of social, ideological, and personal factors will pose the primary terrorist threat to the United States. Among these groups, we assess that white supremacist extremists, who increasingly are networking with like-minded persons abroad, will pose the most persistent and lethal threat, meaning the greatest threat to the United States of America is domestic white supremacists. Stop it, guys. How do we stop it? I don't know, but we have to. Yeah, well, love is the answer. I don't know how, but we've figured out. Love trumps hate. Hate. Yeah, because yeah. that's what it is. It's just hate. Yeah. Did you watch that? Um, not, Sarah Silverman did a piece, like a quick bit about... She knew she had a good friend who was in a hate group, like a. Oh, I did not. Watch oh, it's this. so good. I will. I will share it on our feed. Um, but she talked about how you know, even in those groups, people feel accepted. 
right? It's all about wanting to be a part of something. Yeah. It's just like gangs, I think, yeah. you know? So where... it's like people who are feeling lonely and mm-hmm. trapped in the basement and all they have is the internet. Yeah. And, and they are gladly accepted into these groups. Exactly. And what she was ta- she was actually talking about the cancel culture. So when you find out somebody's like your aunt is slightly racist and whatever. Right. You cancel them. You cancel them. Um, maybe there's another way because, you know, those people can always go to those racist or whatever people and they'll accept them. So it's not, you know what I mean? Like, right. the, those groups cultures. are like, come on in, be more racist with us. We're great. We accept you. You're, yeah. You know, we instead of sitting great. down trying to have a conversation and understanding. Right. The immediate cancel culture, yeah. I think, is sometimes does more harm than good. Yeah. Like Harvey Weinstein, canceled. Oh, canceled. Canceled. But your aunt, who maybe is showing some slight racist tendencies, yeah. maybe have a couple or a lot of conversations before yeah. you cancel them. And that's hard. You it know, is. Those oh, sweaty conversations. I, I really have a lot of respect for people who can have those conversations because I definitely am afraid of those sometimes. Right. I just get ragey. Yeah. And then I'm I not a good listener. Yeah. And so I'm not good at those conversations because I'm just like, but you're wrong. Yeah. You know, and I also cry when I'm mad. So I'm like, yeah. yell crying at people yeah. instead of being like, explain to me why you believe that to be true. Right. And let me absorb that and then let me actually offer you the truth. Yeah. But in a kind, understanding Well, that's something we both could work on because I definitely don't know. I need some training on that. Yeah, so do I. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rom Crime. We adore you so much. Hey, you guys, if you want some extra content, go to patreon.com slash romcrime for uh, some bonus content for whatever donation you feel like getting. That's right. But if you go for the bigger one, the I Will Kill For You patron, you're going to get some cool stuff. Some swag. All right. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Rate, review, subscribe. Love you. Bye. Bye.